William Miller of uh, Vermont developed what was known as a kingdom arithmetic. He tried to use this kingdom arithmetic to predict the second coming of our Lord. And he predicted that the Savior would come between March 21st, 1842 and March 21st, 1843. And uh, obviously he did not return during that time, in case you're wondering. And all of his followers uh, were very embarrassed and of course had put a little bit of a black eye on the church at that time uh, because of people like this William Miller. And uh, But like most of these people who give hard, fast dates, they tend to modify their calculations, don't they? And this is what Miller did as well. He uh, figured that, that uh, no, it wasn't between March 21st, uh, 1842 and 1843. It was actually going to be on or before October 22nd, 1844. Okay, so he gives himself another year and a half. And, of course, as time drew near, people began to get excited. Wow, he's got his math right now. It's, it's going to happen. This is pretty exciting. And one uh, Philadelphia store window had this sign in the window. It said, This shop will close in honor of the King of Kings who will appear about the 20th of October. Get ready, friends, to crown him Lord of all. Most of his followers uh, sold or gave away all of their possessions and prepared their wardrobe for this coming kingdom. And so they gathered together on that day, October 22nd, in white robes, and they waited. And they waited. And they kept on waiting. And of course, October 23rd came, and Christ still had not returned. And five years later, this man, William Miller, died, and these words were penned on his tombstone. At the appointed time, the end shall be. At the appointed time, the end shall be. We don't determine when Christ will return. No one knows when He will return. William Miller did not know when Christ will return. At the appointed time, the end will be. This is uh, class number 11 of our Systematic Theology series. And uh, we are, uh, as Systematic Theology 2 really, it's class 24 of the overall series. We've got two more classes after this. We'll look at the kingdom next week. And then following that, we'll look at... Um, the, uh, our pursuit of holiness. What, I mean, if we're learning all these doctrines, what does this mean for our lives? And it should lead us to, to pursue holiness fully. But today we want to talk about the end times, or as uh, theologians call it, eschatology. And the, eschatology simply means the study of the last times. Eschaton just means the last things. And so... This is not a class about astrology or, or you know, some sort of pagan fortune telling, obviously. What we're trying to do is look into the Scriptures and see what God has to say about the end times. So, in case you, you think, you know, this doesn't really matter a whole lot, we don't know, you know, everything that we'd like to know about the end times, so why even study these things? Well, just to give you a little bit of motivation, let me just read for you Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Speaking of the whole book of Revelation, blessed, Jesus says, is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Okay, There is a special blessing that comes on those who consider the, doctrine, the doctrines of the end times, who consider the last things. 
and in fact, at the end of Revelation, there's that same sort of blessing. Blessing, uh, there is a blessing on those who who read and hear and understand and respond to these things, and that's what we want to do uh, today. All right. So, the second coming of Christ. Um, in order to begin, we want to see what the Bible talks about with regard to the little, literal return of Jesus Christ. He came, obviously, we call that His first coming. He came to the earth to provide atonement for sin, but that wasn't His final coming, and, and that's not really... Uh, the culmination of all that he's doing, the culmination of what he's doing will happen in, in the coming kingdom, which is what we're going to spend our time talking about next week. And uh, so we know this is true, that the Lord will come a second time because of what the Scriptures say. In fact, the apostles knew that he would come back because Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Uh, James said, be patient then for the... the uh, until the coming of the Lord. And uh, Christ, of course, taught this Himself. Remember in Matthew chapter 24, He's talking about... Actually, His disciples right before that were asking... uh, They were looking at these beautiful stones, these massive stones that made up the temple. And they said, look at these great stones. And Jesus says, all these things will be destroyed. And they said, when will this be? When will the end times be? They're actually asking two different things. They're thinking... When the temple is destroyed, that's when the end times will be. But but they were asking two different questions. They didn't understand they were. Jesus did. And so He answered their two questions. First, He explained to them when the temple would be destroyed. Some of you uh, uh, will will be persecuted for, for Me and, and these rocks, not one rock will be left standing on another, remember. And then He talks about the end times. They're thinking this is all one answer to one question. He's actually answering two questions. We understand that now that Jesus has died and and has been resurrected. And he said in that discourse, At that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man come on the clouds of the sky with great power and glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. This uh, is known as this is known as the um, the day of the Lord, this time that begins with judgment and ends with blessing. And the reason it's called the day of the Lord, not because it it includes just one 24-hour day, but, but really it, become, it, it includes one period of time. But if you remember in the Old Testament... Um, the Jewish calendar was based... Their days were... Night actually began first. Their day began really at the the sixth hour of the day, which is or, or six o'clock in the evening. Once it became night, that was their, the beginning of their day, really. So, so it actually was darkness first and then light. And this makes sense when you think about the day of the Lord, that there's darkness first and then light. The darkness is the judgment of the tribulation and the battle of Armageddon, followed by the light, the blessing of the day of the Lord. What you're going to find is when you come to the Old Testament prophets, you're going to find this phrase, the day of the Lord, the Lord's day, things like that. Um, and and it's, it's referring to both of those things, that it will be a time of both judgment and of blessing. And that's 
um, really starts with with the the um, the rapture when Jesus raptures his church. Then the the judgment begins with the tribulation, and then moves on to the the blessing, the millennial age. All right. So Christ said that he would come back. The apostles understood this. But what is the nature of the second coming? What will it be like? What can we say about it from the scriptures? So let me just say uh, several things about the second coming of Christ. Number one, there will be a personal, visible, bodily return. A personal, visible, bodily return of Christ. Okay, Jesus is going to come back in person. Now this seems maybe a little bit self-evident to you. Maybe you've heard that before, but, but you'd be surprised at how much this is debated among people who don't believe the same as we do. Uh, instead of Christ coming in person, they say that the, maybe the air or the aroma of Christ would come back and, and, um, and provide this utopian-type society. But, but the Bible teaches that He will come back in person. That when He came to the earth the first time, He came in person. And when He comes back a second time, He will come in person. Turn to Acts chapter 1. I'll show you this. Acts chapter 1. The apostles are standing around a little bit, uh, little bit uncertain of what the next step is to do with regard to um, their ministry and so on. And when Jesus ascends into heaven after teaching them and commanding them to take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is what the angel says to them in verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has, take, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched Him go into heaven. Jesus is going to return in person. And this should be a comforting truth for us. Because... Christ could have easily sent, being the king of all kings, He could easily just send a representative to bring us home to Himself. He could send a representative to bring out judgment upon the earth if He wanted to. But He's coming in person. He's coming in person both to rapture us and to come in judgment when He actually comes and touches down His feet on the earth. Those are actually two separate events and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. So it's not going to be a a spiritual return somehow of Christ coming into our midst through the air or the aroma. No, it's it's actually Christ coming bodily back to the earth to to uh, to put his flag down as you know, showing that he is the king and that all must uh, all must bow to him. And uh, so, if that's how he will return bodily, visibly, in person, then. Um, then when will this happen? The time of Christ's coming. When will this happen? Scripture, I started out with this kind of a silly illustration from history, but the Scripture doesn't say anything about when Christ will return. That is the exact time of His coming. In fact, Matthew twenty four thirty six. you're familiar with this verse. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So why doesn't God tell us this? Wouldn't this make it a lot better? I mean, wouldn't this be a great display of our faith like it was for these Millerites, these people who followed this, followed this William Miller? I mean, it's a great display of our faith. We give up everything 
believing that God, God's promise is true that Christ will come at a specific time. Wouldn't that be a great display of our faith for the church? Perhaps it would, but God didn't do it that way. Um, instead, he, he left it unknown. He left it to be an unknown time, which means that, that we always have to be ready. And this, is this, this reminds me of this great parable that Jesus gives about the watchman who the master puts in charge of his household goods and he says, I'm coming back. And he doesn't tell him when he's coming back. He just has to be ready all the time. So he can't be just kind of sitting around and, and, and Jesus says, you know, what happens if I come back and you're, not, and you're found not ready? You're found sleeping. You're found not having done the job that I told you to do. Uh, then you will, shown, you will have shown that you're not really that good of a watchman. And uh, instead, we as a good watchman will will always be ready, getting the things of Christ done now, always ready for His return so that we don't say, you know, Christ hasn't come in the last 2,000 years, so He's probably not gonna co- going to come in my lifetime. Or if He does, it's probably going to be when I'm older or something. So I'll just delay serving Christ for now. But the beauty of Christ coming in an unexpected way is that we as Christians always have to be ready, don't we? Listen to uh, Matthew 24, that passage I was mentioning before, verses 42 to 44. Keep watch because you don't know when the day of the Lord, day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the, uh, of the house had known at what time the night of the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect it. Keep watch. You don't know when the Master's coming. Jesus used another parable to help prepare His disciples and us. The parable of the ten virgins. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning bright. Remember the five that didn't have their lamps trimmed and ready to go? They, they, they were asking the other ones for more oil. Well, that's not the time to be asking. The Master's already here. The banquet's about to start. And so we always need to be ready. Um. Now, one of the difficulties with, with the coming of the Lord is, is trying to look at the events of our, of our current world and see if, if these point to a specific time. I don't know how many times I have people come to me and say, it's close, isn't it? It's close. Did you see what happened on the news? It's close. Well, I would say to you that that Paul thought the same thing and James thought the same thing and John thought the same thing, that it's close. Okay, so I'm not trying to say that, say, you know, it could be pushed off. What I'm saying is that Christ could have come during their lifetimes if that's what God had determined. There's nothing on the end times calendar that has to happen before Christ returns. Okay, there's not any pacts that have to be made Overseas, there's not any more technology that needs to be developed. There's not any more sin necessarily that needs to to come up or or, or whatever. Christ can come at any time. Christ could come today. Do you believe that? Now, I say, wait a second. What about all these signs of the coming? Well, the signs of the return of Christ, right? There's going to be great earthquakes and famines and pestilence and wars and rumors of wars. What about all that? Well, I think... The answer to that question is understanding what the end times are about. Now, those predictions there, 
those prophecies, those things will happen before the Lord's coming. But you need to understand that the Lord's coming comes in two parts. Okay? So he's had his first coming. His second coming actually comes in two parts. The rapture and the actual time when he touches down on the earth comes down as judge and king and reigns over the earth. He basically carries out the battle of the Armageddon, destroys all the, the wicked there on the earth, has the, the um, what do you call it, the judgment of the sheep and goat nations, and then that leads into the millennial kingdom. So there's two parts of it. So what if we think that there has to be pestilence, war, famine, rumors of war, all this stuff to happen before Christ raptures us, then we've misunderstood the end times. Whenever you see those things, particularly in Revelation, you can see it very clearly, that all of those predictions or prophecies of what will happen before Christ's coming are referring to this part over here. It's referring to the second aspect of His coming, the, 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 the time when He actually touches down on the earth. And that makes sense because you have all of those things happening during this, this seven-year tribulation period. But when does the rapture happen? During that time, after that time, or before that time? Before. So if that happens before, then none of those things, those things are all here, will already be gone. And that's why I say there is nothing on the eschatological calendar that needs to happen before Christ returns. You don't have to, to slavishly watch the news or read Israel My Glory to see if, if, if things are going to be okay. Instead, you should be always ready for the return of the Lord. Not trying to determine the sign of the times and you know when, when is Christ going to return. He can return now. He's ready to come at any time. He's simply waiting for the Master, for the Father to, to, uh, to send Him. And um, so I would, I would say uh, to those people who suggest that all these things need to happen before Christ comes, need to, to look back into the book of Revelation and into the prophets and see that these prophecies uh, of the things that will, uh, I guess, alert people of His, his second coming, they need, to, they need to think about that on the proper timeline. That's how I would explain it. Um, the Apostle Peter reminds his readers, uh, in fact, turn there, turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3. Because he, he warns of, of scoffers and mockers, people who come and say, you know, Christ hasn't come yet. It's, it's like the people during the time of the flood, right? You know, there, there's not going to be a flood. It hasn't come yet. There's not going to be a judgment on the earth. That's actually one of Peter's arguments. Just because there hasn't been a flood doesn't mean that there's not going to be. The same thing is true about final judgment. Just because there hasn't been a final judgment doesn't mean that there's not going to be. Look at chapter 3, 2 Peter, verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where's the promise of His coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the Word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment 
and destruction of ungodly men. All right, so Christ is coming. There's nothing that needs to happen before He comes. And, uh, and, and we should be ready. We shouldn't buy into the, the, uh, the ideas, the, the thoughts and, and uh, sentiments of these scoffers here that, you know, it's just going to continue as it always has. Or rather, we should always be ready, prepared for the coming of our Lord. And uh, that leads to our application of this truth. If Christ is coming bodily... If we, if Christ could come at any time, then how ought we to live? And that's, that will be our next point. Before I do that, do you have any questions or comments on what we've talked about so far? Bill. Mm-hmm. And then we have the uh, seven-year tribulation. Right. Now, with the first coming and, and the uh, rapture completing the first coming, am I right or wrong? I've never heard of it. Uh, I've never heard it in those terms. I mean, the day of the Lord certainly starts at the beginning of the tribulation. We know that. So, if the day of the Lord... If you want to call that the second coming, then I, I guess you could say that that Christ's rapture completes the first coming. But um, I, I've just never heard of it in those terms. I don't. I don't think there's a problem with that. I don't. I don't have a problem with that. But but I understand that his second coming actually will be when his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives. There, you know. Yeah. But but what you're saying is there's a whole period of the second coming. Is that what you're saying? That would commence or begin at the beginning of the tribulation? Well, the way I understand it is that the rapture ends the first coming. Mm-hmm. Virgin birth. Yep. Taking, taking the church off the earth. Yep. Then the second coming will be at the end of the tribulation when he actually sits down on earth. Right. Uh, in the Mount Olives. Right. Yep. But I'm not sure I'm right. Yeah, I don't think, uh, again, I don't think there's any problem with thinking of it in those terms. But but the main thing is the second coming is actually, you know, when he touches down. That's the main part of it. I think the way I explained it was there's two aspects to his second coming. So I think that's what you're probably, you know, just rubbing up against it. This is the end of the first coming or is it a second aspect? I, I don't think the scriptures really speak very clearly about that. So. Yeah. Yep. Nope. Good thought, Jared. Um, the thought about the imminent return that I had. Yes. Is, uh, chapter three, verse one. Of. Same chapter. Yep. The Lord is not told by his promise. The son is not born to escape his children. Not looking for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Yeah. Um, isn't there a sense that he he cannot come until he's fulfilled the repentance? Yeah, yeah. I think my point was like like we as the watchmen don't know what all he's doing and what time he's going to come back. 
from our perspective, we don't know when He's going to complete all that redemption and, and, and the purifying of His church. I think there's actually more purposes than just, than just uh, saving certain people as if, okay, the last person saved, now I can come. I think there's actually a purification process going on in the church that is that He's making us holy to be a, a, a perfect bride for the Savior, which is what He has been doing. So there's both a salvation and a sanctification process going on. And, while, and I, I would completely agree with your point that there has to be those things happen that every person's name who's, been, who's written in the Lamb's Book of Life that has been since the foundation of the world they all have to come to Christ before Christ can return. Uh, obviously, saving the tribulation ones, but but as far as the ones connected to the church, yes, that's true. But but I'm looking at it from our perspective, saying we don't know that we don't know who those people are. So we we be about our business, evangelize, make sure that people are hearing about you know uh, disciple eat one another and so on. So yeah, it's a valid point. Good, Jennifer. Yeah, actually, the the dispensation of the of grace begins with Acts chapter two, the Pentecost, the which starts with the church, and then goes all the way, in my understanding, all the way till the end of the tribulation. So it goes from grace to kingdom, doctrine or the dispensation of the kingdom. Right, the rapture doesn't end the dispensation. I think some people do see it that way, and. I, again, I wouldn't have a huge problem because with that, but but I I tend to see that each one ends with a failure on the part of humans and um, and a subsequent judgment. But that's not, you know, that that's debated. So, someone else, Trish. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, that's why we don't call it the dispensation of the church because the people in the tribulation really aren't part of the church. There's their own separate category. But there are people still getting saved during that time. We know of at least 144,000 and probably thousands more on top of that. And so, there, yeah, you're right. The grace continues even through the tribulation. It seems like a daunting time in history. But really, to me, that, I mean, like you mentioned, it's, it's one of the best displays of God's grace that people could be saved out of that, of all places. I mean, with such intense persecution. Bill? Uh, in James, uh, the 16th chapter, it's during that Jerusalem council. It goes along, I think, with what Jared was saying. Yeah. And it simply says that God has called out a Gentile people, and after this, He will return and restore the kingdom. Yeah. Do you know what verse that is? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, chapter 15, 13, 14. That's Acts chapter 15. He's talking about... Um, 15 and 16. Simeon has related how God first concerned Himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for His name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by name. Yeah. Yeah, good. All right. Any other thoughts? Okay.
the next point that we want to make is that Christians should eagerly, we should eagerly uh, long for or desire Christ's return. And uh, this, if if there has been any trouble in your life, and uh, and you have gone through that for a long period of time, you you certainly are probably already do. If your life is nice and cozy, maybe you want you know a couple more fun things to happen before you die or before Christ returns. But if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've experienced some trials and you've seen some difficult things happen in other people's lives and in your own, um, this is not hard to do. To long for it. You know, Romans, Paul talks about in Romans how creation as a whole longs or groans for the day when Christ will restore all things, when He will make all things new. And um, and as Christians, we are uh, certainly recognizing that same sort of idea that creation longs for that. We groan for it. And uh, this should be an encouragement for us in trials. You know, when, when we are going through deep, difficult times in our lives, we should not despair um yeah it's tough it's sad it's difficult but we shouldn't despair as if we have no hope like unbelievers who just you know maybe you read their statuses on facebook and you're just like man they just have no hope in life they they just seem to be going around in circles and and when bad thing, times come they don't have any explanation for them we may not have a precise explanation but we have hope that in the end, all things will be made right and that these bad times are being used for God's purposes to bring about something great in us now and, and in eternity. And so we look forward to this time with great hope when Christ will return and He will restore creation to what it once was. And so when, when Christ said, I am coming soon, John replies in Revelation 22, second to last verse there of the Bible, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's the same sort of sentiment or response that we should have when we consider Christ and His promise to return. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord, as we sing. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you with me that you also may be where I am. Or where you... Where you whoops. Where I am, there you may be also. So, let me just uh, leave you with a challenge here before we move on to the next section. How, how often do you think of the return of our Lord, the rapture of the church? Do you, do you reflect on that at all? Is that something that, that, that is a rich promise for you that Christ is, is coming? You know, is it something that you reflect on or meditate on when when difficult times come or when prosperous times come, is that something that you think about? It shouldn't be a rare thing. I think it's something that should be on our mind, that we are reflecting on it and praying to God about it and about the earth and the difficulties there. Um, Not that we want to see judgment come on other people, but we certainly want to see restoration uh, to, to those whom God has called. All right? So, second coming of Christ... Now we turn to um, the next topic, which is a little bit more debated among believers. Okay, and I would say believers, probably unbelievers, are in this conversation as well. But but certainly believers. When is it that Christ returns? Which part of the millennium? And I'm going to let me just uh, lay out for you the different the different uh, views that are put there. By the way, 
millennium means 1,000 years. Okay, so 1,000 years, and we understand. I'll save that. Okay, we'll, we'll, I'll tell you what we understand and believe. But when are these thousand years? When is it that Christ is going to return in relationship to these thousand years? This this kingdom that was prophesied in the Old Testament, the the kingdom that never really came. There was a there was a sense of the kingdom, a, a mediatorial reign of God's man, but it wasn't this idealized kingdom where Christ would reign, the Messiah would reign as the king of of the this. Um, of this land and and where the lion would lay with the lamb you remember and and all these things would be uh would be ideal it would be a great time here's give you a flavor of what's going to happen during that time turn to revelation chapter 20 revelation chapter 20 and these first 6 verses mention the word thousand year or the the words thousand years i think 11 times um and so we know it's talking about the millennial kingdom, even though it never uses the word kingdom. But look at verse 2, and you'll see some of the things that will be happening during this time. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them. And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or His image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So, when is this thousand years and when is... Christ's return. When? How does Christ's return relate to that? In, in other words, at what point does Christ's return come in relationship to those thousand years? The first view is called post-millennialism. Post-millennialism, that is, after the millennial kingdom, after the one thousand years. This view states that that through the binding of Satan, there will be a gradual increase in the growth of the church and the spread of the gospel, so that the kingdom could happen. Now, before Christ comes, that is, Christ's coming is at the end of the millennium. So, during this 1,000-year reign, could be just us as you know, Americans, American Christians. We're going through this millennial kingdom as the world gets more and more idealized. It's becoming more and more Christian to the place where, where we have a, a beautiful place to live here on the the earth without any necessarily any destruction or or uh, one second. Uh, without any destruction or, or change. And um, so it's kind of a gradual transformation of the world into a utopian-type millennial kingdom. Uh, and then Christ would come back after that time. That's, that's the first understanding of that, that we want to look at this morning. Jonathan. Yeah, does anyone else know that? I don't know the answer to that. Trish? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's uh, probably a good illustration. I, I don't know that for sure, but um, post-millennialism. Second is ah, millennialism. Ah, meaning no or not. So, no millennial kingdom. There's not going to be one. It says that Satan's uh, 
binding will reduce his influence over the nation. So it's not really a thousand years. It's just really a, it's not a literal thousand years. So don't think of it as a literal time is what they say. Just think of it as a period of time. Kind of like we say the day of the Lord from the Old Testament. And we understand that to be a long period of time, which includes the tribulation and the millennial kingdom. They see the 1,000 year the 1,000 years here is not a literal 1,000 years, but as as just a period of time in which um, the uh, the church or the equivalent thereof will be going on, and and uh, Christ will will return and and judge believers whenever He pleases. So so there's uh, it's very similar actually to the post millennial view, um, but but instead of uh, I don't. I don't really understand, you know, too much of what the difference is actually, because they say that the end of this period. I think the main difference is post-millennials view as it, there actually is a literal 1,000 years followed by Christ's return. Amillennials believe this is just a period of time, just a generic way of saying a long period of time, like we would say that would never happen in a million years or something. Next is called the classic or historic view of premillennialism. Pre meaning before, right? That Christ is going to come before. And so this would be that Christ comes before this 1,000 years, but post after the tribulation. So this would be a post-tribulation view, generally speaking. This was the classic way of understanding when Christ would come. That, that there would be a literal tribulation, a literal kingdom. Christ would be come between those, uh, um, th- that he would come between those two, and uh, and that that's including his rapture, by the way. Okay, so I I've been saying that at the end of the tribulation, that's when Christ is going to cut, touch down. That's his second coming. But but they actually understand when I say post trib, they actually believe that the rapture is going to happen that time. That Christ is going to rapture his church. Have the marriage supper of the Lamb come right back down, and that's when He's going to enter into the kingdom. So that's the difference between, and the fourth view is ours, which I've, uh, I think I've explained before, but but I'll just explain it again here, is that Christ raptures His church before the tribulation, the seven-year judgment, raptures His church. Okay, we we are outside of that. We're not going through the tribulation. Tribulation's over. Christ comes down with His bride brings down judgment on all those who oppose Him and enters us into the millennial kingdom. So that would be what's known as a pre-millennial, pre-trib rapture. Okay, so before the millennium, before the tribulation. Um, Now, in order for you to see that 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 is the um, stated view of our church, I, I put for you there on your handout, the second page, our statement of faith. If you look at the last paragraph there, it says, do you find that there, ABC Statement of Faith? We believe in the blessed hope, the personal, visible, premillennial, pre-tribulation, and imminent coming of our Lord and Savior. Okay, so we believe that Christ will come before the tribulation and and uh, rapture us. We're, that we're going to be saved from the hour of testing, as First Thessalonians says. Um, Revelation 3.10 is another great verse to, to look at. All right, any questions on that? Those are the four main views among um, 
many believers and unbelievers probably enter into that as well. But any questions on that, Bill? Yeah. Yep. And right back there, and then the church has got to be beat and battered and go through the entire uh, seven year tribulation in order to be purified hmm. and to be clean and have her, you know. And my two friends, they both kind of go along with that idea uh, as far as the uh, church staying here on earth. They don't believe it will be removed at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you're going you're going to find that with a lot of people you talk to. Um, but uh, but but uh, you know, as, as I went through Revelation, studying it for myself and preaching it, I became more convinced of this this view um, that Christ will come before the tribulation, that is to rapture us, and then that He will touch down at the end of that at the Battle of Armageddon. And then lead us into the millennial kingdom, and then to the eternal kingdom. And uh, so, I mean, it's one thing to take an understanding of a doctrine because someone else that you respect took that position. It's another thing to see that for yourself in Scripture. And I can't uh, help you do that other than just you know you need something you need to look at. And uh, if you ha- if you need some books that you'd like to, to read to help point you in that direction, I'd be happy to to um, to recommend some. Well, the final judgment is the last, uh, second to last section, and I'll just uh, briefly say that, that during this time, Christ will be the judge. Unbelievers will be judged and condemned to eternal punishment. This will be what's known as the Great White Throne Judgment. And Dr. Compton gave a great um, study lesson on the great white throne judgment, which actually happens for believers, where believers will be rewarded. That's the third point on the back there. And so if you'd like to, uh, to find out more about that, I'd encourage you to read or, or look up that that summer preaching series um, sermon that he preached. It was a great sense of encouragement as well. That will lead to the final uh, eternal kingdom, which is the new heaven and new earth, where this earth and heavens will be destroyed and uh, we'll be put in place a, a new heaven, a new earth, and we'll be able to live in the presence of God forever. Uh, we will be able to see His face, Revelation 21 22 talk about. And uh, we'll be able to be in the presence of the triune God, where God will be our God, and, and we will be His people. An amazing thing when you consider the sin 
that has plagued our race for for um, most of its history, almost all of its history. And now we are able to walk with God and be with Him and, and live with Him. And that's what the new heavens and new earth will all be about. So Jesus says in Revelation, I am coming soon. And we, with countless millions of other believers, say with John, even so, come, Lord Jesus. All right, let's pray. Father, we do pray that You would send Your Son quickly. We know uh, certainly, as has been mentioned, there are things for You to do. Um, there are people for You to save, and and there is the church for You to purify, and, and uh, that goes on. We recognize that. But as far as... Um, Anything that needs to happen on the earth that has been prophesied in Scripture, it's all been done. It's Christ to come at any time. And, and we look forward to that day because our bodies and our creation groans for the time when He does restore all things, when He makes the wrongs right, when, when no longer will those who are sinful and, and pagan and who hate you be called great, but, but truly those who, who know Jesus Christ and who are the greatest servants will be called great like like he talks about when he came the first time, we we want to see the uh, the things that don't seem to make sense. We want to see them all make sense, and we know that that will happen during the millennial kingdom, when Jesus reigns as King over us, and where every knee bows and every tongue confesses that He is Lord. We long for that day, and we pray that it would come quickly. May you strengthen us to be proper servants of. You, our Master, and Jesus, our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.